welcome to Zephyr Podcast Sessions with your host, me, Scott Howland. To find out more about Zephyr and how we're helping leading brands and businesses with customer journey orchestration, visit www.zephr.com. Hey and welcome to the Zephyr podcast session. It's great to be here and it's even more of a pleasure to be joined by Chris. Chris, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Scott. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, Chris, for everyone that that doesn't know you, um, I know you quite well. Um, I work very closely with you. Um, uh, Who are you? What's your experience? And uh, who do you work for? Sure. So, well, I work for Zephyr, um, one of your colleagues. Uh, I am the Chief Product and Technology Officer and I am in charge of, uh, yeah, the direction of the product, the engineering team, all that kind of side of the business. I've got a history of working with startups. Uh, I had a couple of my own and worked for a few other people's as well. It's great to have you on. Uh, it's been a long time coming this. Um, we keep uh, toying with the idea and we finally got round to it. And uh, it's really interesting today. Um, we're going to be talking around a new concept and, uh, and something we've been uh, kind of working on um but it's this concept around user states could you tell us a bit more about the concept of user states yeah absolutely so um this is an area of the product that i've been really passionate about for a long time because we have provided this great tool to our, our customers that lets them add dynamic behavior to any website or any app really quickly code three it's fantastic right um but it was always focused, always designed around the interaction. Like when you view a page, how are we going to make that page custom to you? How are we going to make it bespoke um, to that particular interaction? Which is fantastic if you want to implement things like paywall and registration wall, maybe even some kinds of messaging and other experiences like that. But one of the parts where we kind of saw that we could do more with the user experience for, for our customers, for, the, for our um, site admins, was around understanding how a customer has interacted with the brand over a longer period of time. So not just that interaction, not just that page view, not even like what they've been doing that week, but how that, that individual has interacted with the brand over the course of the last year or several years, how they have... Um, risen and fallen in their engagement and what things are on their mind at the moment. And so for us, that view, that first class understanding of the state of a user, what state are they in, what's their mind frame, was something that we really thought we could put a lot of time and energy into improving and adding more value to what Zephyr does um, for its customers already. So so that's kind of creating a fuller picture of a, of a customer's life cycle, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, we actually had uh, quite a lot of inspiration from uh, a talk that Phil Libin has given a few times. Actually, one of them was on the This Week in Startups podcast, if, if anybody listens to that, um, which was talking about using a state machine as a replacement for traditional metrics of a business's health. And this was something that I listened to years ago and was, was kind of playing around in my head as we were um, designing this originally where it talks about, for example, having a state for users who are um, churn risk, right? Maybe that's defined as they haven't been consuming your products recently and therefore they move to churn risk. And what you can look at uh, in his eyes 
was the number of people who are transitioning from one state to another, and if that's going up or down as a good indicator of the health of the business. So have more people move from the customer state to the churn risk state this month than did last month. If so, maybe you've got a problem in the product or maybe something in the market has changed. So um, people are less interested in what you're offering. And that is a really interesting idea from a, a reporting and an understanding point of view. But actually, almost immediately, the question that follows is, what do you do with that information? Right. So, you know, that more people have moved into the into the uh, churn risk bucket. Right? Fine. You could take that back to your product management team and say, you know, go off and have a look at why this is happening. Um, but actually, particularly in industries like publishing, where things are changing really quickly, what you need to be able to do is experiment, rapidly deploy um, different ideas and see if they affect those changes. So you need to be able to take an experience, an interaction decision, the kind of things that we used to do, um, and deploy that to people in a particular state to see if you can move the needle, to see if you can get them back from the churn risk state into the customer state. Does that make sense? Yeah. So what you're looking to do, you're looking at that that kind of journey, that user state, and you're moving them towards that, whatever that is. Is it, uh, for example, you mentioned churn risk. Is it um, a retention figure bringing more retained customers is it moving them towards a purchase a new subscription a new acquisition um and i guess that's why it's really relevant for media and publishing industry today we've seen a lot of acquisition over the last six eight twelve months um especially um especially during covid that kind of uh was increased Hmm. um why are user states and the concept of user states in particular very relevant to media and publishing industry today? Yeah, so it's about actionability, right? Um, You need to be able to take that information and not just be aware of it, but quickly do something with it. Now, if you look at that in a classic kind of business intelligence um, lens, that means taking that information, digesting it, building a strategy and deploying it. And maybe that's fine. Right? Maybe that is something that is useful to you. But what if things are changing really quickly and you don't know what the answers are? And every time you go to make an experiment, every time you go to make an A-B test, you need to get an engineering team involved. You need to go through some sprints of work to deploy this thing. You're never going to be agile enough. You're never going to be quick enough reacting to the market. So when things happen like browsers drop third-party cookies, global pandemics hit, these kind of things that are really like quickly shaking up the industry, uh, you need to be able to, in minutes or, or hours at least, go, let's run a 5% test against the people who've moved into the churn risk um, camp and see if we can get some of those back. Let's understand what's going on there. And if we can't, let's fail fast, move on, and, and run a new test. Um, You need to be agile to do that. And the way to get there is through actionability, being able to take something like a state and action it. And it's encouraging that positive user behavior at the end of that, which is which is kind of key to that. So let's focus down a little bit more on retention. Um, How do you keep your users engaged and seeing the value of your product or your products that they've subscribe to well so there are a bunch of uh strategies that are are pretty 
um, classically well understood, like sending out content to get people back into a system, um, definitely making sure communications are, are, um, are relevant and timely. Um, but actually, the the crux here it comes down to the same thing: you need to you need to experiment because the answer is going to be bespoke for you, right? It's going to be bespoke for the particular company, the particular publisher, whoever they are. So if you're a um, b2b financial um, publication then maybe big changes in the market are going to be much more of an influencing factor than you sending out a mailing list right maybe a lull is because there's nothing happening there are no ipos at the moment or whatever it might be um so actually in that case you might have strategies like if you put your product manager's hat on they might say well how are we going to get people involved here we're going to need to look at um, long-term future trends to understand and where things might change in in five years' time, whereas when we're in a territory which is like full of IPOs, we're going to look at things that are much more tactical, how you can make good investments, something like that. And um, so, if that was your scenario, the product manager is going to want to experiment with those things. Um, it all comes back to being able to quickly deploy those changes and see what um, see what difference they make, see how they move the needle, because. You know, just stating that um, sending a newsletter with personalized content out will bring more people back into the platform, that might be true. Um, but you don't know. You need to go and, and test that and see if it makes sense. So with that, that's obviously very retention focused. But with retention, are you trying to solve retention today or are you looking for the future? I think as with any problem that you would try and solve through giving a more personalized user journey, you need to to take a balance and ideally achieve both between solving the problem that you have right now, the tactical solution, and building a foundation, a platform for uh, getting everything better and everything into this like evolution mindset um, going forwards. So uh, if you took the, um, so our DigiDay uh, report that we uh, commissioned has suggested that a third of publishers expect to see an increase in churn. And presumably a lot of that is off the back of um, COVID. A lot of people have come in, they've increased the um, number of conversions. They're, they're, um, they're, you know, weren't able to, for example, get a print copy of a publication. They weren't able to read the um, what they read before on the tube. So they've picked up these um, other other um, subscriptions and things like that. And maybe a lot of them will then assess it and think that was a bit of an impulse buy and actually is not providing me value for you know $10 a month or whatever it is. Um, so so when the dust settles, they're going to go, nah, actually, this isn't what I wanted. I'm going to, I'm going to churn out of it. Now, how can they solve that problem? There's a bunch of things that they can do tactically. So they can look at reasons why somebody wouldn't be engaged. Right? Maybe it was just a bad fit. Maybe people don't like their content. That's possible. Um, but it could also be things like it could be to do with the page load speeds. Maybe um, the experience is not good enough. It could be product things like um, offline reading is really important because, um, I don't know, bad Wi-Fi connections at home or something like that. It's probably less an issue in, in lockdown, but who knows? And and they could be saying things like, we know that we have relevant content for people because when they come in via 
Google search or something similar, they're reading something and they're really stuck on that page. But when they come in directly to the homepage as a subscriber, they're bouncing much more quickly. Well, that would say that actually you need to dedicate a bit of product management effort into how to expose the right content for an individual based upon their behaviors, based upon first party data they provided you, based upon explicit preferences. Um, so there might be a bunch of things that they can do now um, which will help build engagement, help make sure people are, uh, are habit building uh, and are really getting good value out of the platform. But the way they do that is, again, through experimentation. Um, and that means that you're deploying the capabilities, so tools like Zephyr, that let you quickly go and test those things and iterate and improve going forwards. So you are doing some tactical stuff now to improve retention or whatever it is um, but you're doing it in a way which is maintainable where when the next issue comes on the next financial crisis the next um, huge change in technology you can adapt to that in the same way because you've fundamentally got um, agility and flexibility in the capabilities of your stack and the way your stack is made up the components of your stack and what's interesting in that is kind of this this churn risk it's triggered as soon as someone converts to your your product. Um, mm. As soon as they're they're in that, for example, uh, the onboarding process. A couple of weeks ago, I was chatting with um, uh, Robbie Kelman Baxter. She's the uh, author of the Membership Economy, um, and uh, she was saying about it's uh, having a great onboarding potentially is a secret to reducing subscriber churn, right? Removing the friction, delivering immediate value, rewarding desired behaviors that, that are going to drive that membership success or member success. Uh, how do you how do you stand on that, that side of things? Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, it boils down to a fair value exchange. If people are using your product, your, whatever it is you offer, um, publication or otherwise, um, and they're getting value value out of it, then they'll continue to pay for it. If they're not using it and hence are not getting value out of it, then they'll have that little voice in the back of their mind, um, remember to cancel this subscription because it's a waste of money and they'll probably be busy people and forget to do it a few months in a row and then it'll get to the point where they're going, oh, I've paid $50 to company X and I've not logged in once. It's a complete waste of money. I'm hacked off with them and I'm going to cancel and never come back. That's absolutely what you need to avoid. So habit building is the way to do that. And that's not in a manipulative way. That's in a provide something of real value where it becomes part of somebody's life. Uh, and the points that she called out are absolutely legitimate to that. So remove friction so they can quickly and easily get on board and deliver value as soon as possible. And so that somebody is, is aware of what they're going to get out of it right early on. There's no point in putting that off. Um, and then, and then, yeah, like giving uh, extra uh, like uh, benefits and success to people who drive those kind of behaviors absolutely makes sense. And the tangible ways that you can get there are things like if you're going to deploy a registration form or some kind of membership service, then like maybe take advantage of social sign-in. It's so much quicker for people to just say, I log in with Facebook, log in with Google, than to type out all the same information and set up a password, worry about whether you're handling passwords properly, do all that kind of stuff. Um, really easy things that you can just uh, deploy straight off the bat to make sure that um, the friction is low, that they see the value quickly. And then, crucially, start building information about those users. Ask them. You don't need to do it in a 
in a way which is uh, unpermissioned. What are you interested in? What would you like to follow? How can we make this service more personal to you Uh, and start adapting and, and, and building on that insight? And I think that's key is understanding the users, understanding the consumers, making sure they're getting value from your product. I think there's that uh, Netflix recently has started pausing um, subscriptions if someone hasn't engaged in the last 30 days. People are really respecting that. Mm. Whereas on the other side of things, I think AOL still have one to two million people still subscribing to dial up in the US or something like that. And, and, and they just they've just never churned because it's still coming out of their right. bank account every month. And but they've still got a massive business based on that and that recurring revenue. But I think there's a, um, that value in the middle, is it going one end of things like a Netflix or is it the other end of things are just leaving things ticking over as it is like a, for example, what we're seeing on, on, on that dial up example that I was reading. Mm. Uh, it, it, there's lots of ways to look at churn. I mean, I, I think the so the subscription economy is is pretty well established now, but it's it's also on the scale of technology a fairly new way of doing things, and a lot of the tools that are out there uh, are not quite right for it, aren't quite built for subscriptions first, um, and more than that, there is a big mind frame shift towards optimizing for lifetime value instead of conversion rate. Right. What we want to encourage and what we're doing, like hopefully help our customers do is provide that long term um, fair value exchange. So Netflix pausing a subscription is a prime example of that. By pausing those subscriptions, maybe they keep customers for life. Maybe they keep customers for certainly a lot longer because they're happy with them. They had a good experience. Now, it is pretty easy to think and and, and maybe uh like difficult to resist a temptation for just going, something has happened tactically, let's take advantage of it. Let's get as many subscriptions as we can, right? That's optimizing for conversion rate. Um, so for example, people are not able to get their news the way they used to, or they have more expendable income because they're not buying coffees from a coffee shop. So let's try and get as many people to convert to our subscription as possible. Now, absolutely, tactically take advantage of that. That's just part of running a business. Um, but do it whilst trying to optimize for lifetime value. Like what is the point in getting, you know, these extra thousand subscribers if they're going to churn next payment, if they're literally just going to go, oh, that was an impulse. I shouldn't have done it. Cancel. It's not going to change anything. It is much better to have three, 400 people who subscribe and stay with you for the next 15 years. So using that example, how would you see user states and that concept of user states? benefiting those situations yeah so first of all it's about visibility like this user is a different kind of user to this user Uh, and an example of that that's really obvious would be this user has come in and they've done x y and z right and we consider those uh, milestones along our onboarding flow so they've come in they've used the um, service a little bit they understand it. They've maybe set up a, a newsletter and they've opted into that. So they're getting stuff into their inbox. Maybe they've clicked through on a link from that newsletter. Um, they've done some things. So we can see that these people are now have like a bare minimum engagement. And it's our job to keep giving them the right content and keep bringing them back to the site. A different kind of user has maybe subscribed, perhaps very quickly, perhaps with one click pay for something like subscribe with Google but hasn't done any of those things. So it's immediately clear that there are different kinds of users and one is much more at risk of churn than the other. Now, 
the question is, does your technology stack allow you to differentiate between them? And do you know how you're going to do that yet? So I know I've said it several times. I'm coming back to it again. It's that test, learn, iterate. You've got that group. You know that there's something wrong with this, these these people. They don't quite fit in with your um, your model. You need to change the experience that they see on site. You need to be proactive in doing something. Otherwise, they're going to churn. It's clear. You've already identified they're going to churn. You need to do something to stop that happening. And we're seeing that test, learn, iterate, coming back to it, their FT strategies, Google News Initiative, they're all now focused in on this test, learn, iterate, personalized experience now, which is obviously really interesting. And that maps really closely back to the the user states the, the and that concept around user states and having different transitions between those user states. So we're coming to the end of 2020 now. Um, it's been a game-changing year in uh, for publishers, for media companies. We've seen subscriptions kind of accelerate. We've seen uh, the pandemic accelerate digital transformation in inverted commas <laughs> across the board. Um, 2021 is coming towards us at a mega speed. What challenges do you think the media industry uh, and publishing industry will face in 2021? So, so that's a that's a huge question. Um, there is, there's going to be so many things um, which will be difficult challenges for the publishing industry in particular. Um, so, some of it is things like uh, third party cookies going away. Right, you can hear a lot of people talking about that. It's it's not anything new. Everybody knows that that's a challenge, but that's really just one component towards a change in the way that content is monetized. This is something that's been changing very rapidly already from platforms like Patreon and sponsored YouTube videos um, and stuff like that. Um, But absolutely, ads revenue is not going to be as easy to get as it used to be. And the thing there is to look at what ads revenue has done to the publishing industry over the last decade. And so it's absolutely made it um, much easier for a, a greenfield startup to become a publisher and um, bloggers, people like that who, who start off maybe as a hobbyist and become uh, actually professional at it later. Um, so that's kind of a good side to it, the democratization of publishing. But the other thing it's done is it's meant that businesses that do this professionally need to optimize their content for page views, not for the things that they used to. So, um, journalistic integrity, um, building brand loyalty, things like that have maybe a little bit fallen by the wayside over the last few years because actually clickbait titles will bring you more ads revenue than a, a deep investigative journalism piece, which is kind of hard to read and um, difficult to produce, right? So this whole model around ad revenue has driven the industry in one direction, and you could argue has influenced the world quite a lot in terms of uh, making things a bit more polarizing and divisive because clickbait tends to do that. So as those things change, as new legislation comes in, GDPR, CCPA, um, as uh, third-party cookies start to disappear, um, as you're already building on potentially that tactical um, boom of people who are subscribing, the question is, can the industry move it a little bit back to where it can compete on the quality of the content to build that true value exchange where people are willing to go, I subscribe to X and I am proud to be part of that. I'm proud to be a member of that community because their journalism stands for these things and I really believe that. Now, any of the businesses that can do that 
brilliantly, faultlessly, will absolutely excel. And a few of them in the middle space will probably struggle because it'll be much harder to compete purely based upon ads revenue. And there we go. We got to uh, a very long answer in quite a short space of time. So thank you for that, Chris. Look, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, speaking about this concept of user states with you, um, your vision, what you what you see now, what you see in the future around um, um, this great concept and for the publishing and media industry as a whole. Um, I always ask a couple of questions at the end of these podcast recording sessions, and uh, I think one of these might test you slightly. I think one would be easy, one could be testing. Um, firstly, we go to a bar, maybe when it all happens, that uh, I finally get back to London. Uh, at the end of it, a long day uh, in the office. Um, what's your drink of choice at the bar? In a bar, it'd probably be pretty boring and I'd have a beer. If I was at home, it might be a whiskey. Look at that. Whiskey. On the rocks? No, never. A scotch. There we go. Okay. And uh, secondly, um, uh, creating a Zephyr playlist. Mm. Um, I haven't released it yet, but I'll I'll be sending it your way very soon. Um, It's going to be, hopefully, most people have been quite upbeat. So it's upbeat Mm. song to add to that playlist. What would be your song to add? That that's the hardest question we've had um, the whole time. Um, I I reckon I might go with so perhaps classical gas by Mason Williams. There we go. I have no clue what that is, but I'm <laughs> going to go with it. I'm going to have to go and listen to that before uh, before adding that to the playlist. But I will make sure that is on there. Look, Chris, absolute pleasure having you on. Finally the podcast um thank you very much for uh for taking the time and uh it's been great talking absolute pleasure thank you